Hey Ralf, what was your first computer? Hi Adam. My first computer was an Atari 600XL computer. 600 or 800? 600. A small oh. one. Yes, but I I only knew there is an 800. I saw this, so I have to re research it afterwards. I didn't didn't even knew that there is 600. Doc, I think so. It was a uh, the small version. Okay. With, with less memory as uh, <laughs> the version. Yes. Okay, interesting. <laughs> So what you did with the 600? I learned programming. I remember oh, oh, really? You started with programming or you gaming first? Programming. From the I, beginning? Yes, from the beginning. This uh, computer was a uh, gift from a present from, from my grandma mm -hmm. from, for Christmas. And I remember that I there was no, no, no booklet and nothing with this computer. And so I, I went into a bookstore and I, I bought a book, a thick book, which was named my Atari XL computer, learning mm -hmm. basic. Mm -hmm. And when I come home to my grandma, she was very angry with me because she said, why did you spend all your money in one computer book? What mm -hmm. a nonsense. <laughs> but this was my best in, in, it was the best idea I ever had. Mm -hmm. Investment learn. maybe even, right? Investment, yeah. Hey, cool. So you are one of the few guests who really started just with programming, with coding. Yes. I learned really programming. So, how, how old with, were you? How old were you? I think I was 10 years or 12 years old. Impressive. And really, I, I learned these, all these commands, print and go to and for next and, and every command. And later, then we recognized, my friend and I, that, that you can buy uh, magazines, computer magazines, mm -hmm. where, where source code was printed out for mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. And then we started to, to type all these source code in our computers, and mm -hmm. then we have our first games. It's a cool story, actually. So um, be before you got your first game, what you started to code? What was the idea? So why you were motivated to code? I saw this by uh, a friend, and he showed me this Atari computer, and I was so impressed that I can print Hello World on the and the television screen. Oh yeah, okay. It was so fascinating for me. That was the yeah the, the initial. Mm -hmm. Now 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 hard question because you said you know hello world. I think back then there was no hello world, right? Was it really hello world or was it something mm. else? You, you don't. No, we we print. My first program was ten print hello twenty mm -hmm. go to ten. Exactly. That, that That's was what I did. Fantastic. Because, because um, what I remember is, uh, I told it already on the podcast, but uh, someone wrote on a table, on a blackboard, um, Hello World. And I say, why are you writing, you know, Hello World? Why World? It's like, it is the first thing you do in a programming language. So really? But I was older, right? So it means the entire time I didn't know about Hello World. It was later. What it actually means. I was, why are you, why are you writing Hello World? What is it, right? So, uh, yeah, cool. So, um, at what... Okay, your first program was Hello World, and then something else? Yes, in, in this Atari computer, you there was a, the way to implement graphic, so you can print colored lines and mm -hmm. something like that, and then that was the beginning. At the end, I we, we developed a, a, a game like Moonlander or something. Oh, really? And, and yeah. it worked? Yes, it worked. It was great. And we published this in a, in a magazine. It's a crazy story. So, so you wrote a game and published in a, in a magazine, and it, it yeah. was uh, I don't know it, successful or, or you... no? It was in these early days. It <laughs> was not so important, I think. Okay. But yeah, it was fun, really fun. Okay. And what happened then? I mean, 
what happened after Atari or what you did, you know, the most impressive thing on Atari and what was the transition to the next level? Yes, we, then we, we, we developed more and more programs and I bought a PC and learned assembler and then I learned the Turbo Pascal and Delphi stuff. And but then, why you learned? You wanted to implement something specific? Yes, yes, I wanted to implement um, software for, for a, a company. This mm -hmm. was my first idea to to implement a, a kind of of logistic software for a company I know. But this was yeah more fun than than work. Mm -hmm. It was really very very early time and. But and, then, and we, you had the company, or why? I mean, you know, logistic is. I mean, I worked in, in a company, and I know they have problems with ah, their okay. with their logistic. And then we had the idea to implement something like that. And so I come into this into this way to implement business applications more and more and more. Though. Okay, so you study computer uh, study computer science or no? No, no. I was uh, everything self teached and. Um, Yes, I learned it by myself. So, but uh, what is your you know, uh, education? So you started, you know. Um, I have a, a normal education and learned in a in a in a in a, in a shop in a television mm -hmm. shop, and so <laughs> this was my. Also, you electro electro um, electro engineering something. Like yeah, this. electro engineer something like that exactly, and then I I become. I got my own company and started in the software industry. What was the name of the company? My first name of my company. Oh, that's a good question. I had changed it several times. <laughs> yeah, sure, but the first one. <laughs> the first one, Serisma, I think. Hey, cool name. Serisma Software. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, what you wanted to achieve with the company, or what you wanted to sell, or what was the idea? Yes, we want to sell business software, and this was because it it uh, brings us so much fun to develop uh, mm -hmm. software. And though it was clear we want to earn money with that, and this was our passion. Yes. Okay. And what what do you mean by business software? I mean, is this like communication, like Lotus Notes? Everyone integrated to Lotus Notes back then. I remember, right? So what what was it? I mean. Yes, it was a first version of an ERP program, something like uh, yeah, sales software for a company in Munich. And because you, you talked now about Lotus Domino and Notes, when I, I come to a point where I need to earn really more money because it was not so easy in the beginning. And mm -hmm. then I, I started a job in an IT company in Munich. And then there I learned uh, Lotus Notes and Lotus mm -hmm. Domino. And mm -hmm. then... I started a new company and name? real name was SRPA. SRPA, okay. And we did a lot of um, software development in an in a automotive company here in Munich and on this platform, on these Lotus Domino, Lotus Notes. Mm -hmm. And I think that Lotus Notes was really an impressive, impressive concept because you you were able to build stable and 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 strong applications in, in an mm -hmm. extreme short time. It was mm -hmm. fascinating. And we implemented a lot of modules and solutions for this platform. But this was my first um, situation when I come into a situation with this vendor login with IBM. Mm -hmm. So I, I had l collected a lot of experience with Lotus Domino, but it was not easy to adapt this knowledge to other companies mm -hmm. and this was the point when I stopped this development direction and changed to open source 
with mm -hmm. Java. Mm -hmm. And this is oh, okay. my passion now. What, what, what do you use before Java, prior to Java? Was it Delphi? Or what, what do you Delphi, use? yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Delphi was my first language. And then I immediately started with Java. Boland, right? Boland, 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 Boland Delphi, yeah. yes. The and Delphi people, they are fanatic about, uh, about Delphi. So I remember I was at a Java conference called Econ. And it was like joint conference between Delphi and Java developers. And there were some Delphi gurus. And I had a chat with them. They were really nice. From, from Switzerland came there mm -hmm. and, and they showed me you know the uh, Boland launch events they were completely fanatic you know about uh, Delphi which I really appreciated that they are no they really like the the programming language that much yes mm -hmm. a friend my friend uh, with him I, I learned programming and we started with Delphi he's still developing in Delphi yeah I think it's good yeah. doing well mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool so and then you transition to Java. Uh, yes, the transition why? to Java. Why, why you found Java? Which version was it, and why? I mean, Delphi is it great. It was mm -hmm. the first version of Java, and yes, I, I want to. It was fascinating, a new language. Yes, of mm -hmm. course, I want to learn it. And then you, the, the situation was again. Java was. Uh, it was clear that Java is a, a serious programming mm -hmm. language used by many companies. So it made sense to learn mm -hmm. Java. Mm -hmm. Of course, yes. Cool. And also when I started in, in Lotus Domino, there was also the possibility to implement backend logic in Java. Mm -hmm. They had a, a nice system to implement Java agents for yeah, exactly. backend logic. And so I started with, with Java, yes. I also had to integrate with uh, Domino. And mm -hmm. uh, they even had a GDBC driver, but it was a little bit strange. But you could access you know, Domino via GDBC. It was also one of my first projects because... Yeah. Notes was big uh, in Germany. It was like mm -hmm. 1995 to seven, I would say, mm -hmm. and uh, everyone was, was Notes. So uh, lots of companies, you know, all the uh, over with were forgot the names, but um, everyone integrated with uh, with Notes. But the GDBC was a little bit slow, and uh, the problem with Notes back then was scalability. Yes, yes, it it was yeah, it was maybe the scalability. Do you know actually uh, that uh, the, the Couchbase is uh, based on Notes? So you know the main developer from Notes quit, ah. and the Couchbase database and and you remember Groove back then? Mm -hmm. Groove was like open source database peer to peer, which was based on Notes, mm -hmm. and I think from there the Couchbase open source database happened. Uh -huh. Yes, um, I think the the core concept from Lotus Notes was really good yeah. with this uh, document-centric approach yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was very very flexible and, and nice and today I am developing a workflow engine and we adapted a lot of the idea of Lotus Notes in this workflow engine. Mm -hmm. So we still drive this document-centric approach and say okay this is a kind of generic container for any kind of data and you mm -hmm. can put it into a document and process that so it's Different to typical database development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a document um, document oriented NoSQL yes. database, right? Yeah, That's cool. Mm -hmm. So I started with Java, uh, first version of Java. What was your impression? I mean, I can imagine after you know Delphi going to Java, which was you know the the feature, the Java one zero, not even interfaces were there. So like, yes, it it was a um, um, not so 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 much fun. And in in Delphi, you had these these visual development mm -hmm. very early object orientated it was very strong and then they i think they they brought out this j builder exactly 
and this was a try to adapt this yes. Delphi mm -hmm. technology, but it was not equal. It was always slower and not so flexible. Yeah, but still impressive. I really like yes. uh, JBuilder. Uh, so I, yeah. I, st I think I was at the professional version, and I, I think even I started with one or two. But uh, the problem with JBuilder, the refactoring was not good, right? You couldn't mm -hmm. easily rename classes. This was the problem. Mm -hmm. And then Eclipse happened, and I immediately switched to Eclipse. And I think yeah. I'm responsible for killing most of JBuilders in the oh. German companies with Eclipse <laughs> because I said, okay, if you cannot refactor, forget about this. Yeah. And then I didn't like Eclipse because of the plugin, so I switched back to NetBeans back then, but this was the story. Uh -huh. Oh, I was impressed by the plugin concept from, from Eclipse. Um, I, I remember that I was on a, on a, on a Java conference. But, but and wait a second. Uh, what interests me, your first projects with Java. So what you did, what you tried to implement with the Java. So you migrated your Delphi stuff to Java or what was the idea? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I wanted to implement my, my small business application hmm. in Java. So With servlets, right? Or with Swing? Web? No, no, no. Web, no web application. It was a normal program with with UI and so with. there was an AWT this was yeah, AWT yeah, the early AWT and then Swing okay cool yeah, so yeah, this is what this everyone did you know applets AWT with a connection yeah, to a database exactly. JDBC exactly yeah, yeah. this was the first mm -hmm. so it was a little bit hard because all these applications was not comparable to that what you produced with Delphi mm -hmm. this was a problem in on Windows platform but it on the other side you you can say oh my application runs everywhere probably yeah um, and then what happened you stick with Java from then yes i stick with java and I, i i go in this eclipse direction implemented a plugin mm -hmm. and with the background of lotus nodes i come to this area of workflow engines and mm -hmm. develop my own workflow engine and then i needed a workflow modeler of course mm -hmm. so eclipse was brilliant solution yeah. mm -hmm. to implement uh, plugins with modeling stuff and mm -hmm. So this was my idea, the Eclipse platform for the modeling side, and then, of course, server-based uh, mm -hmm. application for the business logic. So which companies we talk about? There are three companies, you said, right? So this was the one was the, uh, uh, what was the nice name? <laughs> the Sarisma, then the SRPR, and then finally I founded Imix. And Imix is uh, Imix Workflow it is I am I am IXS dot com dot org and com dot org yes and we uh -huh. have a lot of projects on GitHub. If you use the dot org, you see the Imix workflow project mm -hmm. on GitHub. Uh, yeah, we put everything to show notes. So give me that I will just publish yeah, it. Yeah. And um, so you started with I am uh, Imix, um, Imix from scratch yes. to implement workflow engine, right? Yes, exactly. We the goal was to adapt all what we what we have learned from Lotus Nodes and Lotus Domino into a new open source solution. Mm -hmm. We call it Imix Workflow, and mm -hmm. it was as I told you the same approach. We say, okay, we have a document centric approach. We have a modeling concept in the background, though we are able to adapt new business logic very fast and very easy. Mm -hmm. And what what was the trigger? Like you wanted to do and hope you know the clients will come to you, or you had a client. Yes. And, okay. I I hope that I can find more clients in this way, and at the end this was true. It is now a good product, and yeah. And I was still fascinating writing and programming code, and <laughs> workflow is also my passion. Yeah, and what I remember is uh, it was Java E six based, right? I started with Java Enterprise also from the early beginning. Uh huh. 
and go through all these uh, stages. Uh-huh. I, I started in the area where it was named Java 2EE. You remember the mm-hmm. ver- very mm-hmm. first time. And then I, I upgraded to ev- with every new Java Enterprise version. And the, the funny thing was... Which that server are you used back then, you know? I started with Glassfish. Glassfish, okay. Yeah. This is, mm-hmm. And the funny thing was with each new version of Java Enterprise, my, my, my core project becomes more easy and more simple. And with each iteration, I, I was able to remove more and more code mm-hmm. because yeah. Java Enterprise really developed in a nice direction to make it really simple to develop. Uh, yeah, this is what my client really appreciate because I know clients know for 10, 15 years, what we did 15 years ago is still up to date. You can mm-hmm. remove more and more code until, you know, only a few annotations uh, remain, but they never had to migrate. Yes, so that I, is true. I, I have to say the Java enterprise is actually a huge business success story. Yes, it is true. That is uh, also my opinion about that. And uh, right now, you know, uh, the if the economy is doing not not that great, you know, the the, the people are you know um, um, remembering that oh uh, maybe we should focus more on on, on standards and, and open source. Yeah. And um, also funny thing, what I do is the Airhex TV. This is like you know show, uh, a show which runs already. This is crazy for eight years. I think now we have the one hundred seventh episode. And the uh, 107th episode means one episode a month. So this is almost eight, eight years, right? And now, now the cool thing is because what, what I got the genius idea that I walk 100 episodes back and see what were the questions back then. And the cool story is now, now there were questions like, should we still use Java E because it will die? Maybe you should use you know, the other framework. And the interesting part is we looked at the play framework, you know, and uh, the, the cool story is uh, the contributions to the to the play framework are no more that great. This was the last episode. But what I did, I didn't want to Quarkus and you know, the popular things, but uh, I, I took a look, you know, at Whitefly and all the servers, which are less popular, I would say, than Quarkus or Helidon. And everything I found, there are more contribution, you know, than the old framework. So it means uh, the interesting part is Java is not only around, it's still doing great. So this yeah. is actually, uh, or great better than all the frameworks we mentioned, you know, eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I think there was not the best marketing around this Java enterprise. And of course, there was much problems in the beginning. Yeah. But now with this shift to the Eclipse Foundation, I think the things becomes much better because they are more focusing on marketing. And and it's really popular. So the, uh, there's, there was the Jakarta EE1 conference, and it was really well attended. So for ah, an online yeah. event, there were several hundred people. So it was mm-hmm. uh, incredible. So I, I, I still don't know because online events are not that popular usually, but they were live. I mean, not recorded views, but live where several hundred people. I remember mm-hmm. the exact, I can't remember the exact number, but it was significant. It's like almost thousand or something. So it was not like, you know, uh, 100 or so significantly more. So it was in December. It's always in December. So to listeners, if you are interested, there's a free event called Jakarta One. Jakarta mm-hmm. one and this is December the 6th or something like this. So um, mm-hmm. I was impressed. There's always nice community. So you have to speak as well there. So you, be, yeah, you have to uh, apply yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, for sure. So, um, okay. So uh, th- your company, uh, so what is the unique story of your product? So may- maybe what are the, you know, wh- why it is interesting or what is the use case or whatever. So t- tell us, you know, the how so, elevator pitch, you know, you yeah, are now, okay. yeah. 
the elevator pitch. Uh, not much time for elevator pitch. Um, the Emix workflow engine is a human-centric workflow engine. This is a unique point. You find a lot of workflow engines in the market, also open source workflow engines. But the problem with this, with this term workflow engine is it is not really clear defined. So you find workflow engines to, to support your Kubernetes cluster, mm -hmm. or you can find a workflow engine for your build pipeline or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And what we are doing is we do focusing on human-centric workflow, which is also a special kind of workflow engine. It is this classic understanding from workflow in a business. We coordinate a complex business process within an organization where different participants have to achieve a specific business goal. Mm -hmm. And the, the workflow engine guarantees that all steps are performed in the correct order and is documenting all these, these steps. It, cling, it sounds a little bit boring, but it is very important for many companies. G give me a use case where I can imagine. What do you mean human-centric? It means give me a, a use case, a typical use case. You a typical you use case is a, is a loan approval or an invoice request where ah. different mm -hmm. managers have to approve or reject the, re the request. Mm -hmm. And it is important that based on the compliance rules from the company mm. that, for example, an invoice about more than 1,000 euros must be approved by two managers. Mm -hmm. And when it is less, it is enough oh. to with one manager, for example. So you have these business rules inside. Mm -hmm. And the, the human-centric workflow engine is coordinating this. Mm -hmm. And the workflow engine, the goal of this workflow engine is the workflow engine knows the organization structure and mm -hmm. the persons there and can route the information to the correct person. Mm -hmm. So this is the main approach to make sure that each request is going to the right person mm -hmm. at the right time and is not forgotten. Mm -hmm. So it is a different approach from these technical workflow engines where you try to solve some kind of business logic or, or automation. What we do is we really try to give employees in a company the correct task list. Mm -hmm. So they can process on that. Ah, this would be also cool for a run book, right? If, if yeah. Yeah, let's say I have an incident and I have to solve it. So you could have a list. Okay, in this breaks, I could do this and this and this and this and this. And you can check it out. So Yes, of course. Also this, but also this uh, aspect of a revision safe process. Uh, you, If you have to ensure that you can revision your process later on, that you can explain why did we... Uh, approved this loan request. O almost example. like blockchain, sounds like. Right? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. But it's more simple. And yes, this is the goal of this uh, product to give you a management readable protocol of any kind of business process in an organization. It's actually cool. Uh, I give you another example about this because mostly developers focus on this data-centric approach when they start developing something. So mm -hmm. when you imagine you want to implement an invoice management system, mm -hmm. then typically you start in Java with a object, a data object, you name it invoice, and you have some attributes like invoice number and invoice date and something like that. And then you implement the crude operations, mm -hmm. maybe with JPA, and then you are ready, you have your invoices in your database. Mm -hmm. And when we, from the workflow perspective, try to solve the same problem, an invoice management system, we ask different questions. We ask, who has created the invoice and mm -hmm. who has approved the invoice? Mm -hmm. And when did we send the invoice to our customer? Mm -hmm. And how often did we receive a payment? So 
we are looking on the timeline of this business object mm -hmm. and not so much on the data within it. Mm -hmm. So in the most simple case, you just have a document, a mm -hmm. PDF document, mm -hmm. and you can adapt the workflow on that mm -hmm. and just coordinate, okay, what do we with this document in our organization and mm -hmm. who is responsible for this document? O almost like an audit trail, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is uh, the benefit of a workflow engine. Mm -hmm. It's not... Uh, many developers think, oh, a workflow engine is easy. I just have to add one more attribute to my data object and I name this attribute status mm -hmm. and then I'm ready because I can say this yeah, is complete. But the main challenge in different uh, uh, um, workflow engines was always you can have multiple processes in different versions running at the same time. This is the, you know, you have an old process and new process. If you change something, you cannot just, you know, change the process in the middle. So you have to, it's almost like a little bit version control as well, right? In the, yes, yeah. this is right. Yeah. This is, and this is really hard to implement. Uh, what do you, what do you, yeah, I mean, for, for in a project, right? In a project, we can yeah. implement a state machine, but we cannot call a state machine a workflow engine, I would say. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, and workflow engine is also, um, a, I mean, a huge a huge point in workflow engine is, to, you know, how to call it the role change. So I'm in the role, you know, uh, I don't know, manager, and now the task get, get goes to worker. Maybe you have to, and the worker is only allowed to do, you know, specific things and then comes back to the manager with different roles, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. And this is the main problem or the, the challenge for human-centric workflow mm -hmm. uh, because you interact with, with people and you, make to, you, you need to make sure that the correct um, actors can access the data. Mm -hmm. And also you need to protect the, the, the data from unallowed mm -hmm. uh, changes. And though the workflow engine puts an ACL on each process instance, mm -hmm. though in a workflow system you can say if you have thousands of process instances, each of these can have individual mm -hmm. read and write access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, this is very similar to Lotus Notes because they also had mm -hmm. this concept of mm -hmm. setting an ACL on a document. Mm -hmm. And this is what we do. So this is... Uh, Good stuff for for confidential data processing. No, it's interesting. And and uh, from technical perspective, still Jakarta your, your system. Yes, yes. I am now um, on the way to migrate to Jakarta ten. Cool. And Glassfish still or Payara? Uh, uh, Wildfly. Oh, Wildfly. Okay, cool. Uh, it, it is independent. No, independent. No, but of course, <laughs> I don't know. Of course, but uh, uh -huh. I am working mostly with with Wildfly. I don't know. And, I, I know it the best. And the, uh, what's the, which database? It's database independent because of JPC. JPA, but mm -hmm. I use mainly Postgres database. Yeah, this is what I thought. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you have, uh, what is the, about the performance? Is my, is, is this how to scale it? What was the story? It is, um, in the first beginning, I made, it was not so good scaling because of the problem when you have a generic data object with a lot of attributes and in a generic way, then how can you index that in a, yeah, exactly. in a database? It, it's not easy. And I ran into into, into this SQL join hell and yeah. it was very, very slow. And then I dropped all these um, indices and store all my data simply in a blob data field. Mm -hmm. And the cool stuff is then I... JSON B I, or, or Blob? I use a Blob field. Mm -hmm. And then I use a Lucene index mm -hmm. cool. and I make a full text index mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. this. And it is immense fast. It is incredible fast. Yeah. Even if you have millions of, of data sets, you can find very fast your the, the requested data. And it is 
fine for a workflow engine. Yeah, it's actually cool what you did here uh, because uh, this is like Elasticsearch without Elasticsearch, right? Because this, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is uh, and and of course. Uh, for operation is great because you don't have a moving part. This is your the the, the um, Lucene is a library. You can just use it, yeah. and you don't have a running thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And I can so I can change the data in my in my process instance during runtime. I can add new attributes. I can remove attributes. Mm -hmm. I'm not affected to change my data model in the background. This is uh, nice stuff. And in workflow management, you often have this that you have long running processes mm -hmm. which run weeks or a month or years, for example, mm -hmm. and then the data model will also change in the company mm -hmm. because they have new data which need to be entered. And so mm -hmm. you have always this situation, you need more uh, different data. And this works well with Lucene because mm -hmm. it can adapt new attributes very easy. Do you have still fun developing the software? Yes. Are you Very coding fun. or are you a manager now? I'm coding every day. <laughs> this is cool. How long are you building already the software? Pardon? What, what when you started the company, Emix, when was the start? Uh, it was started in year 2000. This is 23 years. Yes. It's fun. This is a similar success story. And on our podcast, we had, um, we had an author of um, APR on Twitter um, of JPOS. This is Java point of sale. Mm -hmm. He similar story. He wrote, you know, the entire uh, carrier as so a Java system, which is in all, you know, the terminals in Brazil and worldwide actually. So it's a market league at jpost.org and has lots of fun, everything open source. And he mm -hmm. he says, okay, if something doesn't work, he rebuilds from scratch and does it better. So um, yeah, yeah. interesting. So now uh, this is really great because uh, it's awesome, you know, uh, my idea, just you know, keep coding because it's lots of fun and, and, and stay away a little bit from management. This is uh, until now. It works, right? So this was the question to you. So now you said it's completely open source. Now, yes. why I should spend money on Emix? So what I get? I get support or what's what's the idea? Yes, you get support. We are the workflow experts. We have a lot of experience about how to, to, in, to integrate a business process into a company. Mm -hmm. And this is what uh, we sell to our customers, this uh, consulting and this... Um, but could I buy support for your software as well? Yes, of course, you can buy software, uh, support for the software as well. But mostly our customers are small and medium-sized companies and they use the Emix workflow engine to digitize their business processes. Mm -hmm. And we... Though these companies or the managers from the companies don't want to know much about technology. They just want to solve their problem. Yeah, and but we do the technology. What I try to do is I always try you know, to buy support from open source companies, not necessarily to support them, but, you know, um, peace of mind, right? So if I buy support from you and there's, let's, let's say, log4j problem or whatever, then I hope uh, you will notify me and provide me a solution to this, right? But if I just um, pick the open source software, just, you know, without any support, then I need time, you know, yes. to deal with the software. So for me, is my now using open source, it doesn't mean it is cheap because you need time to maintain yes, it. Yes. So, um, and this is why open source contributions in my mind are important because let's say you have highly skilled developers. You will just, you know, run uh, uh, Imix uh, um, in-house and they find a bug and they are skilled enough to say no problem five minutes we will fix you know, the, our, our workflow em em engine and won't contribute back to you what happens now they have created their own fork and now they have a huge problem because you are fixing bigs you are improving the product and they are stuck so yeah, this is what yeah. I saw this is actually it is really you can save money by buying 
support from open source software if you don't care about the technology. And if you care about the technology, if you if you find a fix or you always have to contribute back, otherwise yes. you are stuck on a fork. And this is actually yes. what many don't understand. They say, okay, you know, exactly. open source is free, they download and it's like, okay, but what you're doing is playing. What yeah. happens in five years? You will stack yeah. on J- Java 20. We have Java 40, in, you know, and, 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 and you are completely stuck. And it was log4j happens, uh, accident or whatever, which can happen at any time, or, or mm-hmm. maybe even JVM. What even more likely, you know, they will find a JVM problem in all the JVM. And you try to, to, to swap JVM, let's say, mm-hmm. and you cannot because the product supports the newest JVM. So I would say this is my uh, point of view that I say, okay, if we r- really you know, uh, you have at least to talk, you know, to the founders of open source and see how how it works, right? Yes, this is right. This is an important aspect which is not well understood from many companies. I I agree with you. And the other aspect is, um, if you use a, in a company open source project, you are more free and you are not, you have no dependence to the to the initial company. So mm-hmm. you can switch the the software team later mm-hmm. and say, okay, we continue working on this Imix project by mm-hmm. ourselves. This is possible. But yes, you should not um, fork a project and then go away and say, I can make this all better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, um, and uh, But what's important is um, if I download the open source software so I can try for free, but then I would like to have supported Imix uh, uh, workflow engine. Then I can just, you know, go to you and, and buy support because in some companies, it's not possible, right? So if you have Whitefly, it is hard to switch to JBoss, for instance, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. you will have, there's different versions. But in your case, you can just, you know, there is no much difference between the commercial Emix and open source, right? That's true. We also have the same version. It is always our open source right, cool. version. Mm-hmm. And what we are doing is really helping people to integrate the workflow engine into their IT mm-hmm. projects. This is our our service yeah really cool so um i really like your product i understand it better so now and uh yeah uh we'll put it to the show notes to the to the other <laughs> listeners um now you listened to one of my sessions and you are not happy what i said you say okay this is not the adam from i know from from before so um <laughs> exactly i i cannot remember what i said but i think it was um uh, what you didn't like but uh, i would like to clarify this this is why we're talking and yeah. uh yeah what i said what was uh yeah, I'm just curious because I really forgot what I said. So I was like, I, on Twitter, it was flame war. If we talk to another, this is uh, way better, right? So Yeah, it was about uh, Kubernetes, I think. Okay. You, you explained how cool it is to implement software with Kubernetes. And I think it was a Quarkus project and okay. some Kubernetes stuff. And the point was that it was... Um, very nearly bundled into the AWS mm-hmm. stack. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize that it is not so open. Normally you talk about use open standards, use mm-hmm. Jakarta or mm-hmm. Java Enterprise and stay on open standards. And then you, you made this shift to the, to the AWS mm-hmm. framework. And it was a, a little bit proprietary what you showed. Did, and this, this is was ex- what, okay. what I was not so happy with. <laughs> You are absolutely right, and uh, we can discuss. If not, we, we have to schedule another episode because really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, I have two points of view. So if I run on-premise, here's the old Adam, you know, everything is open. What I don't get if clients would like to go, go to AWS on Asia, and they start to decouple from Asia on AWS because they want to be independent from AWS. And I say, okay, what are you doing? I mean, then stay at home, you know, uh, because exactly. th- th- this is pointless. Why you need cloud at all? 
So yeah. if you go to the cloud, what I will do in your case, for instance, I will buy support from you. I will drop the database. I will pick the proprietary database from Amazon called Aurora, still Postgres. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I would like that uh, Amazon maintains the database for me. I don't like mm -hmm. to fiddle with Postgres. So I, I, I got the Aurora from mm -hmm. database. Then I will pick Fargate and put your Docker image on Fargate. So it means I wouldn't use Kubernetes, way too complicated. I would put your software, create container image, and then say, okay, on AWS, I pick Fargate because it's way simpler than Kubernetes. On Azure, I will pick, let's say, Azure Container Instances as one instance, or Azure App Service as a cluster, but not Kubernetes. So it means I really like the proprietary cloud products because they are easier than Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I always try to find out what happens if AWS is no more or it is too expensive or they go crazy. How, mm -hmm. how, how problematic is it to pick this and put it to Azure or, or mm -hmm. Oracle Cloud or Google Cloud? And the cool mm -hmm. story is if we pick, let's say, Container, I don't care which service, you know, uh, orchestrates my container. It doesn't have to be Kubernetes. Yes. I always pick the simplest possible service from, 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 from them. But yes. if there is added value in your solution, I will absolutely pick, you know, your product. Problem becomes, if uh, this is what Elasticsearch did, right? So it's okay, uh, AWS is no more, no more allowed, you know, to run our software. And what AWS did, they forked the Elastic, and they call it open search, and they maintain it completely, right? Mm -hmm. So it means what uh, what can happen that AWS says, hey, Imix is cool, we will maintain it, and, and now you have a problem because Amazon took your software and it runs, you know, Imix as a service, yeah. but this is, you know, the problem with your decision. You say, if this is truly open source, yeah. then you have to live with it, you know, you have a problem. Then, mm -hmm. you, have co then you are competing with Amazon with your services, and it sounds, sounds okay in your case because you say, you know, we have enough clients, we have fun, and we are the expertise. And, yeah. and of course, Amazon will never, ever be able to compete with you because all the decision you have in your head is so you are, you know, the expert of the, the thing. Maybe it was not clear, but it's what I said. And what I see what the companies are doing, they have Kubernetes on-premise. Now they see, you know, a great talk, clouds are cheap, and it's okay, lift and shift, they put the entire Kubernetes to the cloud, and now they are completely depending on AWS and Kubernetes mm -hmm. because they have to maintain, you know, the Kubernetes permissions and the yeah. uh, and the Amazon permissions. And this is the beginning of the end. So this exactly. is what I what I actually hopefully said. And uh, and, and Quarkus, yes, I like Quarkus. It is not completely Jakarta-y, but it's good enough. And in your particular case, what I will try to do because it's really if you're using completely Java E, you could actually run your stuff as a function. Um, what you can do, this is what I do a lot, I pick my old Java E applications, don't use containers, I use uh, zip, function.zip, and then from outside, what happens is um, Quarkus has a uh, an extension which uh, transforms the HTTP event from AWS to JAXRS. So you can actually run your old software as a function. Why is good? Because the cool story is, if your software is not used to know Two, two transactions per second, you will pay maybe nothing. And it's also mm -hmm. good, you know, for energy efficiency or whatever. So this is my point of view. And uh, people don't always, you know, this happened to me several times. They say, what are you talking about? So, okay, if you go to the cloud, this is my opinion, go to the cloud really. Use yeah. the features of the cloud or stay at home. Mm -hmm. for, for me, cloud is just architecture decision. It, it is not better than on-premise. I actually still have my own server. Uh, I run my stuff on my server. But uh, sometimes we have to go to the cloud, you know, global scale or you have to, to uh, higher security with the audits or whatever, it's really to 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 really hard to do it in your own data center. Yes, I I agree with you, and uh, don't get me wrong, I don't uh, want to say that 
AWS or Asia are not uh, strong and powerful platforms. They did, of course, a good job. Mm -hmm. The problem I see currently in the development of cloud computing is um, on the one side, we have this Kubernetes, which is a great open mm -hmm. source framework. And there's a broad community and it is really cool stuff to solve this problem of how to run my containers in an environment. And one aspect of Kubernetes is that it is similar to Jakarta specification. Mm -hmm. It only defines how a container environment should run. Mm -hmm. It does not provide you a lot of things like a network plugin or mm -hmm. storage solution. This is all not part of Kubernetes. And this is what makes the most trouble for when you start with Kubernetes because you're missing these things yeah, exactly. like network and, and database. But it is the power of Kubernetes because it is open. It gives you the freedom mm -hmm. to replace every component with a product you like. So you are totally free to set up this environment for your own for your own needs. Mm -hmm. And now when you look at the hyperscalers um, from Microsoft and Amazon, they did a complete different business. They mm -hmm. want to achieve this vendor lock-in. They want, like you told me, uh, it is, they want to go to our platform and stay there and you have no more trouble in the future, but you should not switch to other platforms. Yeah. And I think that many uh, users in the today did not understand this But the, the history is, a. I, I hope I do, do right a bit different because uh, what happened is that, you know, the Fargate is really old. So the Fargate on, on uh, AWS, I had uh, the first YouTube videos where I pushed Glassfish to Fargate is seven years old, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what happened is Google saw that, you know, the uh, the uh, AWS on Asia or AWS is gaining momentum and they open source Kubernetes to say, okay, this is, you know, our, our solution because they had Borg inside. And because of Google, they were really successful. And now uh, AWS and Asia, they see that the clients would like to have Kubernetes because it's popular mm -hmm. and Kubernetes happened afterwards. So on AWS, on Asia, Kubernetes is available for two years, but they had their solutions, orchestration, you know, years before. I don't know whether you heard about Beanstalk, Elastic Beanstalk. This was like, you know, the idea that was built in Glassfish from the beginning mm -hmm. on, on, on AWS, but it was uh, heavy. Then Elastic, uh, sorry, Fargate came out. It was a little bit faster. So I don't see vendor locking. They, I think the teams which care about the products on AWS or on Asia, they care about simplicity. Of course, management would like to have vendor locking for sure. I mean, this is this is why why commercial companies are there, right? They would like to have as many clients as possible there. But um, what I would do, I would use Kubernetes, but mostly on Google GCP. Because, you know, mm -hmm. Google is the, you know, home of Kubernetes and it's the best possible experience on Google. Mm -hmm. If you do Kubernetes on AWS, on Asia, it is not convenient. You have to know to care about upgrades by yourself. You, uh, I mean, and, and the, the, the main problem is because Kubernetes is own cloud and own cloud inside a cloud doesn't make any sense. So uh, for, for me, I have two clouds to, to, to care about. Even if you do infrastructure as, 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 as code on AWS, There is one toolset called CDK to provision your you know, VPCs, the IP addresses and whatever. And then it's done. And there's another toolkit to provision Kubernetes. I mean, this is for me, I don't like to care about this. So the best would be, you know, to buy from you a service. And if you say, we run Kubernetes on AWS, I don't care. I just like your workflow engine. But if mm -hmm. I get your workflow engine, I don't care about the Kubernetes. I will create a simple container and run it in one day. And if AWS says, okay, it's too expensive, I spend another day and run the same stuff on Asia. This would be my, my approach without any standards. I just pick whatever they offer. It has to be simple. So I would say simplicity is for me the most important thing. Yes, but also it is 
for me, it's always the aspect of independence. I don't want to to get into the situation where I depend on one company. And I see it as a, as a problem. When I choose AWS for my new cloud provider, then I, I locked in in this environment. Yeah, but you have to, we have to differentiate, right? If you would build a product, yo, you will like say, you know, MX Cloud. I think Kubernetes is the right decision because you can run Kubernetes on-premise, Kubernetes everywhere. If I'm in a project, I, if I tell my clients, you know, we spent one week more, but then you are portable, they say, okay, you are crazy. So just, you know, do whatever necessary to have Imix in the cloud, right? This is complete, mm-hmm. uh, this is a difference, I would say, from, you have to consider and uh, explain clients. We can say, okay, we use Fargate or AppRunner on AWS or ACI and App Service on Asia, but we are depending on Asia. Question mm-hmm. from client, what happens if Asia disappears? So, okay, then we need one day to migrate the container to AWS. This is correct. You can migrate the container, but what is with your data? This is a... Maybe the main problem. Oh, yeah, of course. You are right. So if this is a relational database, in my case, always Postgres. Yeah. But this is not the Postgres open source. It's called Aurora. This is like half open source, half, you know, backed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you are right, Postgres. But if we start to talk about NoSQL databases, it's also interesting. If you go, let's say, to Asia, there is Cosmos DB. On AWS, is called DynamoDB. They are proprietary databases. I have to say, I prefer them. And the reason being is there is no infrastructure provisioning. You know, you don't have to care about VPC, IP addresses, subnets, firewalls. Mm-hmm. You just say, give me a table and I have the table. But it's yeah. a trade-off. You are depending on, 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 on the infrastructure, but uh, this is, you have to know about it, right? So this is... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The, everyone needs to be aware of this problem. And, exactly. And my, 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 my observation was when you... When you search with Google about Kubernetes, Mm -hmm. you found so many articles and blog posts and tutorials and, of course... Because developers like to play, right? Yeah, there are a lot of stuff and you can learn it very fast. But when you look deeper into the tutorials and blog posts, you will recognize And my impression is that the half of the articles is either talking about AWS or Microsoft Asia. Okay. And they are not really talking about Kubernetes. Yeah. And this is a little bit sad and it reminds me to a situation in the early beginning of Java Enterprise mm-hmm. where we have the situation with uh, IBM mm-hmm. WebSphere and Oracle Beer WebLogic. Mm-hmm. They fight against and want to be the only application server in the world. Mm-hmm. And this was not a good uh, situation for the Java Enterprise mm-hmm. idea because mm-hmm. they... Blocked this is why Wildflight happened. Jabos, yeah, right? Yeah, Jabos, exactly. Jabos was, you know, the gorilla. And I would yeah. say the solution would be that the companies understand they don't always have to go to the cloud. It is absolutely mm-hmm. fine to have Kubernetes on-premise. Exactly, exactly. But if you go to the cloud, you shouldn't replicate what you have at home in the cloud. You should mm-hmm. pick the features of the cloud. Otherwise, the cloud is pointless. This, this, would be, this is the idea. Yes, and this is also important to tell the people that Setting up a Kubernetes cluster on-premise is not so big stuff. No, you always read that this yeah. is complex. No, it is not so complex. It is a little bit strange, but it is manageable. I mean, but if you do it on-premise, it is a way cheaper than in the cloud. Yes. If you have, uh, for instance, on-premise, you can have for every developer and dev, uh, dev instance of Kubernetes. In the cloud, you will pay 100 euros for the control plane per month without mm. having any worker yeah. nodes. Yeah. So I would say... Kubernetes at home, just do it. There, there is actually, this is the only reasonable solution. 
If you go to the cloud, you don't have to use Kubernetes, and uh, there are simpler solutions. This is this was actually the idea of the talk. So I'm really glad we talked, uh, Ralph. It was a nice discussion, and um, pu push, uh, give me you know all your stuff you have to promote. I will put it to the show notes, and, and okay. your your workflow engine sounds really fun. Okay, I will send you some links to my project. Where people can find you, so promote you know is your Twitter account or whatever you have, GitHub, yes, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So where, where you can't so. say it? Where you can't? Where people can find you? Uh, they can find me on on GitHub, and I have my own blog, mm -hmm. and of course the main project page is imix.org. Yeah, your name is Ralph Soika. So Ralph the uh, Twitter Soika. is R Soika. This is the exactly. R Soika, and yes. the company is I M I X S. Exactly. Cool. It was nice to have you. We clarified okay. everything. Everything Thank you. fine. Thank you a lot. Okay. <laughs>